This morning, I want to do something a little bit different. I want us to begin our time together by looking at the end of our passage, at the end of Matthew chapter 5. Because at the end of this first section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives a pretty surprising and weighty directive to his disciples. Look what he says in verse 48 as a conclusion of what he said more largely about the law. Jesus says to his disciples, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus says that the expectation of the kingdom is that We who follow him, disciples of Jesus, kingdom citizens, will be like our heavenly father. That we will be perfect as he is perfect, set apart, holy as he is holy. Now that's a pretty high expectation, isn't it? It seems insurmountable, almost to the point, at least thinking in our flesh, where it's not even worth trying. Because we know who we are. And we know that, that this expectation is so far beyond us. It would kind of be like this. Have you been watching the Olympics? It'd be like Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is like the Olympics. And in order for you to be successful in the Olympics, you need to be able to snowboard like Sean White snowboards. And I'm like, Jesus, I can't even get off the ski lift with a snowboard, without falling flat on my face. Now, of course, the consequences and what's on the line here is far more significant than an Olympic gold medal. But I think we can all recognize that the challenge that Jesus gives here is pretty weighty. But I also want us this morning to see the grace of God attached to this kingdom expectation. Certainly, in one sense, As the people of God, we are meant to feel the weight of God's expectation for his people. And we are also meant to feel the weight of despair that our sin has caused. But we are not meant to stay there. That's the whole point of Christ's coming and his teaching because in the midst of seemingly impossible expectations, an insurmountable standard, God has provided His expectations have been met with an example and supernatural empowerment in the person of Jesus. And that should be a source of encouragement to us, even as we see God's expectation for us. As we continue this morning to see God's standard, to see what he expects for us as his people, I'd like to call us to have a different gospel perspective about what's happening in Christ's teaching. I don't want us to despair. I want us to end today rejoicing. Here's what God is saying. I want my people, my children, to be like me. Here's the expectation. We as the people of God, the children of God, are called to be like our heavenly Father, and he has sent his Son to help us. Jesus will show us how 
and empower us to meet the expectations of the kingdom. The Son will help us be like the Father. As God's perfect messenger, his perfect likeness, he will show us who God is like no other person or being could so that we can be like him. And more than that, he will enable us to grow in holiness, to grow in obedience as his children through his redemptive work. So let's consider these expectations because we need to know what's expected of us. We, would, we need to know how we can grow in holiness, set apartness for the glory of God. But let's also rest in the provision that God has given to us in the midst of those expectations. Matthew chapter five, verses 33 to 48. Here's what the word of God says. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old. Again, that common construction in Christ's teaching on the law here. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is in his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that, comes from evil. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, as we consider our text today, remember that Jesus has stated that he has come to fulfill the law, not to do away with it. And the law was given to reveal the holiness of God and his expectation for those people whom he would attach his name to. And that's why in Leviticus 11.44, he says, here's how holy I am, and you need to be as holy as I am holy. And Jesus is reiterating that call here to his disciples, to those who desire to enter into his kingdom. And he's, he's also offering, though, a different perspective a different provision for his disciples as they seek to grow in holiness to become like their father. Now here's going to be our approach today as we walk through these kingdom expectations that Jesus sets forth at the end of chapter five. Rather than immediately feeling the weight of what we are called to do and seeking to strive to do it in our own strength, 
let's first be amazed by whom God is revealing himself to be in these expectations because God is not asking us to be anything other than what he already is. He is these things that we're gonna consider today. And let's also see and be amazed by the fact that the traits of the Father are echoed in the person of Jesus as our example of faithfulness. And in light of that then, we can consider what's expected of us and the empowerment that God has given us to be like Christ and thus like our heavenly Father. So God says to us, my people, disciples, you are called to be like me. You are called to be perfect. You are called to be set apart. You are called to be holy. And if you're gonna be like me, you're gonna be trustworthy in your speech. If you're gonna be like me, you're gonna be surprisingly gracious. If you're gonna be like me, you're gonna be supernaturally loving. The people of God, we're called to be trustworthy in our speech, surprisingly gracious and supernaturally loving. This is what will be true of kingdom citizens. Let's consider each one of these expectations and why they are important characteristics for us to embrace as we seek to become more like our Father. Expectation number one, we are called as the people of God to be trustworthy in our speech. And we will be trustworthy in our speech because God is trustworthy in his speech. Now Jesus addresses us regarding our speech in teaching about oaths. And he begins by summarizing a number of different passages in the law in the Old Testament that speak about oath-making, specifically as it applies to invoking the name of God in making an oath. Exodus 27, Leviticus 19, verse 12, Numbers 30, verse 2, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 to 23, all reference making oaths and warn us about taking the name of God in vain. Now, apparently... A common thing at this time among the, among the people of God was to use the name of God or, or something connected to God to, to give extra weight to something they were swearing, to an oath they were making. In fact, some people taught that an oath was only binding if it was done in God's name. And if it was not, that oath was not serious. Or if you didn't want to risk the wrath of God, you could make an oath with something lesser. Some examples here that Jesus gives in our text. If you didn't want to swear on God, you could make an oath by heaven or the throne of God or by the earth or its footstool or by Jerusalem, the city of the great king. You could make an oath on something lesser. If you wanted to say, hey, I'm taking this seriously, but you didn't want to throw God's name in on the subject. It'd be like, I don't want to swear to God, but I'll swear on my mother's grave. Something to that effect. And Jesus says, there are some issues here that I want to address. Two consequences, in fact, that are dangerous for the people of God. Firstly, your own tr trustworthiness is diminished. If you feel like you have to swear by something to give credit to what you're saying, to give trustworthiness to what we're saying. Have my people, have the people of God lessened their trustworthiness? Have they called into question their oaths such that we need 
It's to be strengthened by swearing by something. Have you forsaken your words so much that people no longer believe what you are saying so that you need to swear by something? That's a problem for the people of God. But not only that, when you start taking God into the situation, when you start bringing his name or his throne or heaven or earth or anything that is his and all of it is his, you begin to call in to question God's trustworthiness and his judgment. Because what happens if you swear by God, you break that oath, and then God doesn't immediately take you out or bring judgment upon you when you fail to live up to the expectation? It's a, it's a problem of trustworthiness for you, but also for God. And by the way, none of that is yours to give a guarantee with anyway. Jesus says, as the people of God, we are called to be trustworthy in our speech. We should let our yes be yes and our no be no. We need to be so like God that when we say something, people have full confidence that we will do it. Why? Because God is always faithful to his promises. Isn't he? Always faithful to his promises. His yes is always yes. His no is always no. He will never change. And what he says he will do, he will do. This is one of the most important central truths of our Christian faith. Because friends, if God is not faithful to his word, what hope do we have? If he can change his mind or not follow through on something, then where are we resting and placing our faith? But we know that what God has promised, he will do. We know that when God promised to send a savior, that he would do it. And the evidence of that is Christ. We know that God promised us that he would undo the effects of sin and bring the curse away from his created order. And friends, he is doing that right before our eyes. We know that God promised us he would rescue us, deliver us, and he has done that in Christ. We could spend all morning, we could spend hours talking about every promise that God has made that he has faithfully kept so much evidence in the word of God of his faithfulness to his word and we need to strive to be the same as his people. Jesus says, if you're gonna be perfect like God, if you're gonna grow in holiness, set apartness, you gotta watch your speech. When we promise something, let's make sure we intend to keep it. Let's be people of integrity, not needing a guarantee for people to believe that we're finally going to keep our word. And the reason why this is so important is because the gospel is on the line. When we go to people and we say, hey, let me tell you the truth. Let me declare to you what God has done for you in Christ. I want you to believe me about what God has done for you in Jesus. Well, we have the integrity of speech in that moment for them to believe our witness and our testimony. Or do they see, in the course of our lives, deceptive words, lies, untruths, half-truths that make our witness, that make the trustworthiness of our speech suspect? Are we willing to strive to be trustworthy in our speech for the sake of the gospel? Church family, how are we doing with our words? How are we doing with our promises? 
Do we use our words in a way that is reflective of the way that God uses his words so that people, when they see us, can see glimpses of our heavenly father? That's an expectation of those who are in the kingdom, that we'll be trustworthy in our speech. Expectation number two, we're called to be surprisingly gracious. Surprisingly gracious. We see this in verses 38 to 42. For us to be like God, who is infinitely gracious, we must also strive to be gracious. We should strive to be gracious even in difficult circumstances, even when we feel like we've been wronged. So Jesus is is challenging here our conception of justice by reminding us of God's grace. Now, the initial meaning of Christ's quote in verse 38 had become exaggerated. Here's what he says. You heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's found in Exodus 21, verse 24, Leviticus 24, 20, and Deuteronomy 19, verse 21. And the goal of this statement being included in the law was to limit retribution so that the the punishment fit the crime, that you didn't have to pay more than the offense that you committed. It was a legal restriction in order to protect both parties. But once again, what God meant for good, human beings ruined with their sinfulness. And they exaggerated God's provision and turned it into something bad. Something meant to guard against revenge had become an excuse for revenge, an excuse for street justice rather than God's established means of justice. Instead of saying, we're going to limit this, they begin to say, I'm entitled to it. You took an eye. I'm entitled to an eye. I'm going to get my eye. Justice demands it. And this is especially true among God's people who felt like they were not being adequately protected against the Roman Empire, the Roman government, who were taking advantage of them, as seen in some of the examples that Jesus gives here in our text. What if a Roman citizen or a Roman soldier strikes you on the cheek, shaming you? What do you do? Do you strike back because an eye for an eye, a cheek for a cheek? Jesus says no. Turn the other cheek. What if someone sues you for your tunic? He says, give him your cloak as well. And this is a big deal because the people in this time used the tunic not only for clothing, but also for blankets. It was an essential part of their life. What if a Roman soldier enlists you for official business and they say, hey, I'm tired. You need to come carry my stuff for a mile and you are required by law to do it. What do you do? Jesus says, you don't only do the first mile, you do an extra mile as well to show grace. If someone is asking for help, do not refuse. Here's the bottom line. God's people are not to act on the basis of entitlement. You don't have to demand your rights because in not demanding them, you offer a surprising picture of grace. Think about it, church family. What if we were to say, I want what I deserve? What do you deserve? Honestly, think about that. In the grand scheme of things, cosmically, what do you deserve? Friends, we deserve judgment. We deserve separation from a holy and righteous God for all of eternity in a place called hell. And that's what we would get 
if not for the grace of God. He's so different. He's surprisingly gracious, and we need to be overwhelmed by that so we can live in light of it. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is in Isaiah 55, verses 6 to 9, where where Isaiah the prophet is speaking on behalf of God, talking about his compassion. And he's inviting those who have rebelled against him to return to him. And that's kind of a, a scary prospect, isn't it? Because God's holy, he's all powerful. And if you offend God, if you transgress him, then our, our natural inclination would be to believe that if we go to him, he'd wipe us off the face of the planet. He'd remove our existence because that's what we deserve. But listen to Jesus, listen to the Lord's invitation here through Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Why? This is the surprising part. Because God wants to have compassion on him. Isn't that interesting? Return to me so that I can have compassion upon you. So I can abundantly pardon you. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I want to show compassion to you. God desires us to return to him so that he can be surprisingly gracious to us. And friends, we are called to do the same. It's the unworthy, Donald Hagner says, who have experienced the good things of the kingdom. And as they have experienced the surprise of the unexpected grace, so they act in a similar manner toward those undeserving among them. If God has been this gracious to us, and remember, I've said it several times in this series. There's nothing we could ever do to each other that is greater than we have done to God. And yet God has still chosen miraculously, wonderfully to show us grace. If God's been this gracious to us, then certainly we should be gracious to each other and gracious to those outside of this community as well. Now, I'm not saying that we should be doormats. But I am saying that we should be sensitive for the sake of the gospel. Let's have a gospel lens to consider whether or not in that moment, grace is what is demanded as a picture of what God has done for us. And let's always remember that our hope for justice is never in this world only. Whatever justice we find on on this side of eternity is always going to be imperfect. Our hope for justice comes when our king returns and he judges the nations perfectly. Anything until that point is gonna be imperfect. So let's rest in grace for the glory of God. Expectation number three. We're gonna be trustworthy in our speech. We're gonna be surprisingly gracious and we're gonna be supernaturally loving. Loving even when it's hard. Jesus is taking us to a different level here in this final section of five. We should love our enemies, he says in verse 44, and pray for those who persecute this, persecute us. Why? Because when we do this, when we pray for our enemies, when we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, 
We are like the sons of God. We are like daughters of God. We are never more like our father than when we are praying and loving our enemies. The people of God should be characterized by supernatural love. Yes, for those who are a part of our church. Yes, for those of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, but also for those outside of the fellowship, also for those who are considered unlovable because that is the heart of the gospel. Christ's opening statement here is pretty interesting in verse 43. He quotes a a common misconception among the people of God. He says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But here he's not quoting the Bible. Because the Bible never once says that we should hate our enemies. That's never taught. Rather, the Bible teaches us often to seek reconciliation, to seek peace. Because the people of God understand who our true enemy is. We know what we're really warring against. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, friends. We wrestle with powers and principalities. We have an enemy. He's a roaring lion seeking to devour us. I want you to hear me this morning. People are not the enemy. Now, the enemy uses people. You ever seen that in your life? The enemy uses people, but people are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And when we see the enemy using people toward his destructive ends, That should lead us to a place of compassion. That should lead us to a place of brokenness because we know what's causing that. We see the lostness of that. And we want them to be overwhelmed by the supernatural love of God that we have been overwhelmed by, to be be showered by his surprising grace. And why? Because, friends, we were enemies of God. We were adversaries of God before Christ. And here's the beauty of the gospel. While we were enemies of God, Romans 5.10, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, God showed us supernatural love. And if it's true of God, it should be true of us. And it was certainly true of his son. We would not be his children without this kind of action, loving us while we were enemies. So it must be true of us. Now, no, this kind of love is not natural. It is supernatural. This kind of love comes from a transformed heart that can only be given by the Spirit. Because it's natural to love those who are like us, right? It's actually kind of a a bit of selfishness. I see a little bit of you and me, so I'm going to love you because I love me. It's natural to love people who are like us, but what about those who aren't? Do we love those who don't look like us? Do we love those who aren't in the same economic bracket? Do we love those who have a different skin color? Do we love those who live in a different part of the world? Do we love those who practice a different religion? Do we love those who have a different political affiliation? Do we love those whom we are taught to hate? Don't let the enemy drive a wedge where God wants love. Amen. 
Doesn't mean we compromise truth, but it means that we love every person who is created in the image of God because God loves them. And so we should love them as well. Are we characterized by that kind of supernatural love? So here's the question, friends. Do we look like our Father? Bayleaf Baptist Church, do we look like our Father? Are we growing in integrity as it concerns our speech? Are we desirous to show grace? Are we truly loving even when it's costly? If we're to be like God, we must grow in these areas. And here's the beauty of God's plan. Here's the gospel hope I want us to leave rejoicing in. Jesus provides us the example of how to do this as he walks upon this earth. And we'll see it over the course of Matthew's gospel. But more than that, he gives us the empowerment to do it. He will send a promised helper, the spirit to come and dwell inside us. And he will give us his righteousness to help us grow in Christ's likeness and become truly sons and daughters of God. God's expectation is high and lofty expectation to be like our father, to be perfect, holy, set apart like our father has been met with glorious provision in Jesus. And if you are in Christ, you can walk in obedience because Christ did it. He did it for you. And if you are in him, you can do it through him. So let's learn from his example. Let's live in his empowerment. And listen, when you fall flat on your face, and you will, there will be moments on this side of eternity when your speech doesn't live up to the standard. When your grace falls short, when your love is more natural than supernatural, when you do that, you repent Stand up and say, that's not who I am anymore. And you strive in the spirit to be more like your father. In that moment, I'm not like my father, but I want to be. So I'm going to repent of that. I'm going to acknowledge it. And I'm going to move forward in obedience and the power and example of Christ. Because friends, Jesus kept his word. Jesus was surprisingly gracious. Jesus was supernaturally Loving, the perfect image of his father. And he is calling us to step into his provision, his example, to show the character and nature and glory of God to a world that is in need for the sake of the gospel. Can I challenge us this morning to be perfect? Is our heavenly father is perfect? To grow in holiness, to grow in set-apartness in these specific areas? Friends, let's have integrity in our speech. When we say something, when we commit ourselves to something, let's do it. From the, the largest oaths to the smallest. Even in something small like this, when you're walking in the hall later today and someone shares a, a burden with you or an issue with you and you say, I'm gonna pray for you. Let's not let that be just Christian church speech. Let's actually do it. Let's actually pray for one another. And let that small thing be reflected throughout every interaction that we have with other people in your business and your community 
at your home, let your yes be yes and your no be no. May, may we not be the kind of people that we gotta give some guarantee for people to believe us because the gospel is on the line. I want the integrity of my mouth to be an adornment to the gospel, not an obstacle to the gospel. Let's seek to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Let's be surprisingly gracious. When conflict arises, let's not immediately demand what we deserve. Let's pray about whether or not grace is the most powerful response. All of us in this room have received grace. What if we poured out grace upon others when they expect wrath, when they expect judgment, when they expect an eye for an eye? What if we showed grace because God has shown us grace? And finally, let's be supernaturally loving inside this room and outside this room even to our enemies. Let's defy expectations like our heavenly father did for the sake of the gospel. I think about the story of Paul often here, who was Saul. Saul ravaged the early church. He murdered people. He dragged them from their homes and put them in prison just because they followed Christ. Now in our heart, in our flesh, he's an enemy and we should hate him. And yet God saw something greater. He miraculously, radically transformed and saved the apostle Paul, giving him even a new name. And now he is our faithful older brother in the faith. Can you, can you just think for a second about someone that you and your flesh should hate who could potentially be the next apostle Paul? Who could be a a bulwark of the faith who could help transform a country, a people for the sake of the gospel? Do you believe that nobody is beyond the reach of God's love? Then certainly they shouldn't be beyond the reach of ours. Let's be a people who are supernaturally loving because of what it says about our Father. And finally, let's rest in the provision of God that makes all of this possible. Listen, you cannot be any of these things in your own strength. We can't be perfect as God is perfect. We've tried, we can't. You can only be what God has called you to be in Jesus. And praise the Lord that what we cannot do, he has done. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking God to help you know how to respond this morning to the preached word. Let me first ask you, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Are you striving to be perfect in your own strength? It will never happen. Are you trying to please God in your own strength? You will never be able to. Only in the moment when you come to the end of yourself can you find God's provision in Jesus. This morning, would you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead to be saved? Would you repent of your sin and believe alone in Christ to save you? 
No better response to the preaching of God's word than that today. And we're gonna have some pastors and ministers here in the front in just a minute. We'd love to speak with you or pray with you to help you know why and how you should follow Jesus. For the rest of us who are in Christ, do we look like it? Do we look like we belong in his kingdom? How's your speech? How's your speech online? How's your speech at work? Do your coworkers, do your employees, does your employer know when you say you're gonna do something that you're gonna do it? Does that adorn your gospel witness? At home, do you have integrity of speech? Are you gracious? We get wronged all the time. Are you gracious? Are you loving? Not only to people who are like you, people who are not like you. Jesus, Jesus says we're, we're never more like God as sons or daughters than when we are loving people who we would consider enemies. We're praying people, praying for those who persecute us. How you doing? And we just ask God to help show you more in Jesus, how you can be trustworthy in your speech, how you can be more gracious, more loving. As you, think, as you read about Jesus, would you, help, would you ask the Holy Spirit's help to know how you can walk in greater faithfulness? And would you ask him to empower you in the Spirit, knowing that Christ has done it. So Christ in us, the hope of glory, allows us to do it. And in Christ, would you help us, Father, be the kind of people you're calling us to be? for your glory and our good. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.